Our readings today are from 1 Timothy and Matthew. So first of all, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. And you can follow this if you would like in your order of service on page 7. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, may your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Amen. This year, the fragility and uncertainty of our lives has been revealed to us. This illness and death-threatening virus and this wealth and income-destroying shutdown have shaken the stability of our world as much as it raised questions of what we should live for. Although spoken two centuries ago, over two centuries ago, Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount give us the vision and wisdom to live well in such times. Our passage today, which you see is Matthew 6, 19-24, it's a case in point. Jesus instructs us on how to invest in what is secure in a world of instability and loss, how to see things in a way that brings light, and how to look out what we enslave ourselves to. We're continuing our series on Matthew 5 through 17, and if there's one persistent theme throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount, it's this. Live wholeheartedly for God your Father in heaven in the light of his coming kingdom. Live wholeheartedly for God your Father in heaven in the light of his coming kingship. Let me explain. Jesus came announcing the kingdom of heaven had come near. That is, the long-awaited triumph of Israel's God as king was close. That is, the unfinished story of the whole story of God and Israel was coming to its climax. That is, the whole of the scriptures, the law and the prophets, were being fulfilled. A new day was dawning. 
a new day for Israel and because Israel's God was the one true and living God who made the heavens and the earth a new day for all the nations on the earth as well. And with that announcement, Jesus called for people to change how they lived. In his words, Matthew 4, 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That is, respond to this news, to this new day by changing your life. Turn around and live wholeheartedly for the God whose kingly reign is near, whom Jesus called your Father in heaven. And today's section in chapter 6, 19 to 24 is about this wholeheartedness in three related ways, each of which sets us a very stark either-or before us in what you invest your life in, that is where you store your treasure, how you look at things with generosity or meanness, who you really are enslaved to, God or wealth. Let's turn to the first, storing up treasure for yourself. Verse 19, to do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. We live in uncertain times and as just did Jesus hear us when he first spoke those words. In the face of life's threatening uncertainties, storing up treasure for yourself is getting stuff together to make your life less uncertain and more secure for the future investing to secure your future. Storing up treasure, that is, that which will make life safer, more sound and more secure for yourself when you need it. Now, putting it that way, we immediately think of the question of future financial security, gaining and securing wealth and property, investing in the future so we won't be in want. In fact, even without your permission, that your government takes your money from your salary or wages and stores it up for yourself on earth for your future, whether you like it or not. They've already got some $3 trillion stored away, I believe, and there's a massively big fat industry to run the whole thing. But the treasure you store up for yourself can be other than literal wealth. It can be any kind of investment which, which, which you're storing up to secure your future, be it building a reputation or career achievement or qualifications or gaining the respect of others, uh, education, academic achievement, uh, growing a family, you name it, whatever contributes to securing your future. And we do a lot of this without knowing we're doing it actually because as motives are often hidden from ourselves, we can be storing up treasure without even being aware we're doing it. Now, what do you think Jesus is going to say about storing up treasure for yourself? Don't look at the passage, just think what you think he might say. Well, surely he might say it'd be something like, do not store up treasure for yourself. This is selfish. Shouldn't be doing it. Think only of yourself. Think of others. Or something like that. Well, that's what you might expect him to say. But in fact, he says nothing of the sort. Rather than telling us to stop, he encourages the practice. Store up treasure for yourself, he says. But he does so in a way that subverts our normal concerns for our security. 
Can I say this is typical, if somewhat disconcerting, of Jesus? A number of times in the Gospel, when dealing with something which we, or at least contemporary evangelical sensibilities, find problematic, Jesus does not condemn it as we expect, but subverts it by reframing it. Give you two quick examples from elsewhere in Matthew. In chapter 20 of Matthew, Jesus finds his disciples seeking greatness over each other. But he doesn't say to them, you must not want to become great. What does he say? Whoever among you wants to be great must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. He flips it. He turns the natural human ambition against itself. Of course I want to be great, I'll be a slave. Same thing with the words we heard last Sunday from the words of Jesus earlier in this chapter. Jesus is talking about classic Jewish acts of piety, giving to the poor, saying your prayers, fasting, but doing these things with, with an outcome, a reward in mind. But Jesus does not say, you should not do these things for a reward. No, what does he say? Be careful to practice your righteousness not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will not have no reward from your Father in heaven. Work out which reward you want. He flips it. So here, Jesus does not say, forget about storing up treasure for yourself. He says, do it properly, without the risk. If you are going to store up treasure for yourself, Settle for nothing less than quadruple-A-rated stock. Listen to him. Do not store up treasure for yourselves on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust do destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Do store up treasures for yourself in the right place, where it really works. You see, the trouble about treasures on earth is not so much, there's not so much wrong storing up treasure on earth as it's ineffective. They're frankly too risky to secure your future. On earth is where moth and vermin destroy. On earth is where thieves break in and steal. Depreciation, misappropriation, devastation, that's the problem with treasures on earth. True, in Jesus' day, when there was no job seeker, job keeper, or any social security whatsoever, where tragedy and destitution could strike at any time, where despite the immense wealth of a few, the majority lived close to poverty. It was true for them. But it's also true for our day as well, despite our sophisticated economic and financial systems. Why an invisible piece of genetic material wrapped in protein can bring the economic and financial devastation as surely as any moth or vermin or thieves. Don't we know it? But in heaven, there your treasure is secure from such threats. It's immune to them. There moths and vermin do not destroy. There thieves do not break in and steal. Treasure in heaven means treasure with God. What Jesus is saying is, invest in God's approval for your security. Store up for yourself treasure in heaven 
the secure investment for your life. Treasure with God. Now, you may say, well, what does that look like? And sometimes it's hard to know. Jesus often speaks in these profound ways. But sometimes I find it helpful if I can get a, a teaching elsewhere in the New Testament, which may be something like Jesus teaching in different words. And I did find one. It's 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 to 19, which is the first of the readings. Listen to this. This is Paul giving instructions to Timothy, his delegate, what they're to teach in the churches uh, of Asia Minor, around, around ancient city of Ephesus. Here's what he said. Listen to this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain. There's the same teaching again. But put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's the same thing, isn't it? And it's a question of where you put your hope. That's a key feature of laying up treasure. But it's more than that. It's not... It's a hope that leads to action. And here's the key part, verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There it is. That's one example not exhaustive but it's a clear example of what laying up treasure for yourself might look like hoping in God expressed in a life of Christian virtue in this case rather paradoxically you lay up treasure by giving things away which is a rather paradoxical way to think about it he flips it in other words now there are some problems however no doubt you're thinking of them even as I'm speaking Treasure on earth may be insecure, as Jesus says, but at least it's visible. It may be fatally risky, but at least it's tangible. Treasure in heaven is neither. It's neither seen nor tangible. It's treasure with your Father, who, as Jesus said a few verses earlier, is unseen and sees what is done in secret. So when faced with the realisation of the radical insecurity of treasure on earth, the temptation is to double down on the problem, either by working harder or investing more cunningly, giving less away. But that will not change anything. That's not the way, no. What is needed is a, seri is a serious reorientation, not just trying harder. Lay up treasure in heaven, which means staking your security on the unseen God, to trust his coming through for you. In John Dixon's A Doubter's Guide to Jesus, which we've been giving out in the past, John quotes social researcher Hugh Mackay, who in a recent book, looked at Jesus' parables and this teaching in the, and the Sermon on the Mount in general and made this conclusion, I quote, none of the explicit teaching of Jesus in the parables or in that sermon called on his disciples to believe anything. His teaching was all about how best to live, not about belief, end of quote. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. How best to live 
depends upon what you believe. Jesus is calling upon his disciples to believe, to really believe God their Father in heaven, to, to entrust their lives to him, to trust their treasure to him, whose coming kingdom he announces. And that will frame the way they live well. Perhaps the, mess, the best, most, sorry, the next most likely temptation, if you're not going to double down, is to try and have a bit both ways. This is the most attractive one to us, I suspect. Treasure on earth and in heaven. After all, you know, diversification is a very important risk mitigation strategy. And that's what we're after. But Jesus cuts off, cuts, closes that avenue off with a sting in the tail, which I've not mentioned yet in this saying. Let me read the whole thing now with the sting in the tail added in. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven where no moths and vermin do not destroy, thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. Ah, your heart. That's the question. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. And you can't have your heart, by implication, in two places at once. I don't think Jesus' words literally forbid prudent provision for financial security. But what they do forbid is storing up treasures on earth. And the difference? Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And that'll be shown not just by what you love, but what you do, how you live. You'll show yourself where your heart is. It's the heart that makes the treasure. So the question is, where is my heart, really? Now that stark either or, I've called the sermon wholeheartedness the choice, is also in the other two sayings of Jesus that I'm going to speak to be pleased to hear more briefly. There's the one about the eyes. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, the whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, two steps to understand this. One is forget all you know about modern anatomy. Forget it all and look at Jesus' words in a literal first century way. The eye is the lamp of the body. That is, they're like windows Skylight that let light in. That's how you think of it, right? Light coming into your body through your eyes. They let the light in. How good they are will determine whether there's any light inside you or not. That's, that's the image. Secondly, well, what is it about the eyes? Well, the NIV, like most English translations, says something like this. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. In the NIV real Bible, not the printed one just here, there's actually a footnote, which is very helpful. It says this on both these texts. It says, the Greek word for healthy here implies generous. The Greek word for unhealthy here implies stingy. The Greek word for healthy just means single, sound. And the Greek word for unhealthy is the word evil, 
You've heard of the evil eye? That's the word. That is, will you look at the world with a with generous eye, a healthy eye, generous eyes, or will you look with a mean, niggly eye, an evil eye? That's the, that's the distinction. How you look out, whether the light comes in, you see. Because if you look with meanness at the world, if you look fearfully and meanness, then you're plunging yourself into darkness, says Jesus. If your eyes are mean, unhealthy, evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Wholeness, heartedness, the choice. Where you invest, how you see things. Thirdly and lastly, who you are enslaved to. In typical Jesus style, this last section, he starts quite innocently with an everyday observation. This time it's about slavery. Although we are rightly outraged by slavery, in Jesus' day it was a take-it-for-granted part of life. Up to a third of people in the Roman Empire were enslaved. There were some differences from more recent um, American slavery. In ancient slavery was not racially based and enslaved persons could be manumitted into freedom after a set time, but it was still awful, and my, by the way, never regarded as part of God's plan for humanity. Now, on the surface, Jesus makes a commonplace about enslavery. Verse 24, no one can serve, the Greek word means be enslaved to. No one can be serve as a slave to masters. Why not? Well, it's not gonna work out, really. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you be devoted to the one and despise the other. You think, oh, I suppose that's true, yeah, interesting. Then comes the sting in the tail. You cannot serve as a slave both God and money. In fact, the Greek word for money is a, is a strange word. It's an Aramaic word, mammon. It's you know, written in, in a Greek language, and this is a foreign language for the, for the mark itself, for Matthew itself, rather, mammon, which means not just money, I think a better translation is the word wealth, substance, property, not just money itself, but the, the, whole, the whole box and dice, the whole thing. You cannot serve as a slave both God and mammon, that is God and wealth. Now that's a sting, right? It starts with the commonplace. No one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one, love the other, or despise one. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Oh. Now why is it a sting? It's because of what Jesus is denying. And what he has by starting with the everyday observation forced his, re his listeners also to deny, even if they don't want to deny it. And neither do we want to deny it. Deny what? That you have to make a choice. God or wealth, not both and. You can only be the slave of one. Deep down, we would rather have a bit of both. Oh, and that's another thing. We may not mind the language of being a slave of God, but of mammon, of wealth, that's demeaning, isn't it? It's supposed to be enslaved to us. We're the master. But Jesus exposes that denial too. His words actually have double shock. The shock because you can't choose both, 
a shock because you find yourself being painted as enslaved to your will. Now, the point of all these sayings about storing treasure, the health of your eyes, the impossibility of being enslaved to two masters, are all saying the same thing. Wholeheartedness means having to choose. Wholeheartedness means having to choose. Living wholeheartedly for God, your Father in heaven, in the light of his coming kingship means having to choose. Now, you may say to me that, Rob, in the complexities of life, as we live it, the stark clarity of Jesus so easily becomes confused and overwhelmed. It's all right to put it like that. But in real life, it's never that simple, is it? And indeed, Jesus does speak in strong, even extreme language, and in complete black and white terms to shake us up, alarm us, and shock us, as well as inspire us. But we need to be aware that to store up treasures for yourself in heaven, not on earth, to have generous eyes, not mean ones, to serve only one master is a project, not a simple one-off decision. Sure, there comes a moment in life, we've seen it enacted before us today, when there is a moment of decisive decision-making, if I could pick a tautology, and the, the, the sacrament of baptism is an example of that. But these, this choice I'm talking about is not a one-off decision, it's a life project. It's, it's a daily project. We come back to day and day again. Let me explain. We're going to soon have the hymn, Be Thou My Vision. It beautifully captures the meaning of Jesus' teaching here. But when we sing it, we sing it aspirationally, not straightforwardly. We sing what we want to be, not just what we are. There's a line that says, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Really? Tell that to my finance advisor and my hairstylist. We're not reporting to God, we're aspiring how we want to be. It's where we want our heart to be. It's not so much a statement as a prayer. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance, thou and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart, high King of heaven, my treasure, thou art. <laughs> 